everybody. This is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. And I have, this is so much fun. I'm so excited. I have a nursing student on with me this week who's going to be graduating in April. And I'm so excited to have you on. Hello, Autumn. Hey, Tina. Thank you so much. I am as well. Super excited. I've been listening to your podcast for a while now. (laughs) And these stories are definitely entertaining (laughs) and inspiring, the Good Nurse ones. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? Well, I'm so happy that you reached out. I'm really excited to have you on. We've got, of course, uh, we've got a bad nurse story. This is a, 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 it's a different one. It's definitely not a typical, um, it's different, you guys. You just wait, you'll see what we're talking about. But, um, and then the good nurse story is really a a really sweet, um, uplifting story as well. Before we get into that, where you you have like a, a pretty cool Instagram account. Tell everyone where they can find you on Instagram. Yeah, thanks, Tina. So my Instagram is ama.wellness. And really, I'm just focused on wellness on there, um, as said by the name. So I post a lot of workout videos, fitness, some recipes, but I really like to show that you can live more of a balanced life. You can be working those 12-hour shifts and still get in your healthy lifestyle or like me, wake up super early for clinicals, then come home and study. And you could still just do whatever you really put your mindset. So I like to post about that. And then I will post about being a nursing student and going through all of those struggles. And yeah, so you can find me on ama.wellness at Instagram. Awesome. You guys go follow her. You guys know you can find us at, at a Good Nurse, Bad Nurse on Instagram. And in March, you might want to be definitely getting on there and, and looking for this. We're going to be teaming up with uh, Janelle with Novice as the New Nurse. And we're going to do, Janelle and I are kind of going to take over Trusted Health's Instagram and we're going to do an Instagram Live. I'm really excited about that because we're going to be talking to new grads and talking about what it's like to be a new nurse. And I'm excited to have Janelle on there because that's all she does is, is try to educate new nurses and encourage them. And I'm just super excited about the topic. I'm excited to get to represent Trusted Health and you know, get on their their site and and uh, just sort of reach out to new nurses and try to encourage people. This is a really difficult time right now for new grads, for nurses who are at the bedside right now that maybe have been off orientation six months or so. I can imagine, I know that when I was about that bought for myself when I was a new grad, that was when I was really stressed out and <laughs> thinking, wow, this is so hard. And I wasn't in the middle of a pandemic. So I cannot imagine what you guys are feeling. And so I want, I'm so excited to have this opportunity to get to talk to you all and just to let you know that that's not going to last forever and give you some, some tips and some ideas of how to get through it and try to just keep you encouraged because it's, I know it's hard right now. It's so hard on everyone. So we'll give you some more information about that later on as we have a date solidified, but it's going to be sometime in March. So just be looking for that. Yeah, I definitely know I will be keeping my eyes posted because it is super overwhelming right now knowing that just a short couple of months, I'll be graduating and I'll be one of those new nurses out there. So I'll be listening for those tips already. (laughs) Awesome. Wonderful. Well, I guess we can get started um, on on our bad nurse story. So I do want to offer a trigger warning. I try to do this whenever possible. This one is, this episode is 
is not as bad, but it does contain discussion of sexual assault. And so if at any uh, time, you know, that I don't, I guess what I'm trying to say is if that bothers you in any way, I just maybe skip over this one. I just don't like to, um, I, I hate the thought of, of, of um, kind of triggering someone if they weren't um, expecting, you know, that. So just um, like I said, it's not your typical story. So once we get into it, you'll understand why, but it's, it's, it's a little, the roles are a little reversed in this. I'll say that. Okay. So our, our bad nurse is a woman. So anyway. (laughs) Yeah. I know when you sent me this story, Tina, I was like, oh, okay. This Mm -hmm. is different. This is interesting though. It is interesting. I love stories like this though, because it really makes you think, it makes you talk. I I cannot stand double standards. Um, but you know, women and women and men are different. There's no doubt about that, um, about certain things. And, and but yet, double standards. I don't think I don't think that's right either. So I think it's good to talk about this stuff. Now that we've kind of given them fair warning, I guess we can start talking about it. So this yeah. is the story of Tisha Ann Brunel, and Tisha Ann uh, was an LPN. She worked for so this. This all sort of happened. Um, when she was in her mid-40s, she uh, was married, had children, lived in Montana for most of her life. Uh, she was working at the time for a, a program in Montana called START, and that stands for Sanction, Treatment, Assessment, Revocation, and Transition. So it's basically a program to try to get inmates ready for parole and released from jail, right? So Yeah, so... Yeah, you, you that stepping is, stone, it seems. Yeah, uh, I, I like that. I mean, it's it's rather than just releasing them out, you know, it's kind of like a program to try to prepare them. I was, so that they'll have I the agree. Best chance. I was, yeah, I agree. I was kind of excited when I saw that a program like that is out there and exists. We need more things like that, I feel like. And maybe we wouldn't have a prison uh, system that's overcrowded the way that it is. So, Tisha Ann. Just sort of little, uh, I guess, uh, backstory on kind of what happened here. She was entrusted, of course, um, in this program to care for inmates. And she basically was accused of, well, let's just say what happened is she was trying to visit an inmate and a former patient at another facility. And then when people noticed that they were they were just like oh what's what's going on here so wait you were a nurse where he was a patient and now you're coming here and yeah raise, that raise put some, up alarm some red bells. flags mm-hmm. yes so they decided to you know they're like you know what all of these phone calls are recorded and we're not necessarily in the business on this podcast of giving advice to criminals or would-be criminals. But at the same time, I do like to just remind people like, hey, if you're thinking of doing something like this, anything bad, if you're on a phone call, any phone call, it could be a cell phone, it could be your own phone at home. At any time, any phone call could be recorded. But if you're on a phone call with an inmate in a freaking prison, let's just assume... (laughs) That it's going to be recorded. I just don't, I swear, I can't even with people. 
I know. <laughs> so <laughs> this is true. I mean, so these investigators, they're like, well, this is odd. W- wonder what's going on. Let's listen to the phone calls between Tisha Ann and this inmate. So after reviewing the phone calls that were going back and forth between between Tisha and, and the inmate, they realized, okay, something is definitely not right because there were over eight hours of explicit conversation between Tisha and the, this one particular inmate. And they were discussing things of a sexual matter. Tisha had discussed transporting chewing tobacco and drugs into the prison. So she was sneaking stuff in there for this person. So they charged her with over 48 counts, <laughs> including five felonies. I mean, can you imagine? She Here she is. She's an, an LPN. She meets this, this man. She, I guess, is, for, is attracted to him. They start a relationship and then that is ongoing. Yeah. And remember, she's still married. Yeah. And has kids at that point. So that was another shocking just detail. Very. Yeah. Well, and it's unfortunately, you know, that sort of thing clearly happens a lot. I mean, it's it's disgusting in its own right, you know, that people are, you know, that willing to just throw away, you know, their relationships or their, their family. But it's not illegal, you know. It's not in and of itself illegal. It's it's got its own problems and says a lot about the person. But it's it's not a felony, you know. It's not even a misdemeanor, I guess. But okay. she was charged with three counts of transporting illegal items. You know, we talked about about the chewing tobacco and the drugs. She was charged with two counts of sexual intercourse without consent. Now, so th- there are some details that come. Uh, later on about this because you're just like, well, though, wait a minute. This, these are phone calls. <laughs> uh, and then she had 43 counts um, of unauthorized communication. So it, it, this all sounds like, okay, that was interesting. Let's move on to the good nurse story because you would think that would be it. It goes a whole lot deeper and farther than that. And you guys are not even going to believe the ridiculousness. (laughs) No, I know. The more I kept reading, I was like, what is going on? Okay. So you guys, we're back. And um, (laughs) I told you that this gets a little crazy. So first of all, by law, inmates cannot consent to sex, even if they're an adult. I mean, Tisha as a nurse was in a position of trust. And we are taught that in nursing school. And I know she's an LPN there she, that she's a nurse and she, and I guarantee you they're taught that in in LPN school you know in the licensed practical nursing school because yeah it is a very important part of nursing right that yes. not you only, are tr- mm-hmm. yeah I'm just I was just saying not only in school are you taught that but I'm sure onboarding for her job especially in that sort of nature where she worked I'm sure they stressed that to them yes and so the fact that you are dealing with inmates, that definitely makes that a gross misuse of her position as a nurse. I think that probably, and I, I, I know I'm kind of speaking for her here, but I do think that she probably had a, uh, a mentality that a lot of people have, and that is a double standard, and probably didn't, it, it would probably not occur to her that that would be considered abuse because she's a woman and he's a man. And so for him, and he's consenting. And so 
it's not really abuse. And it, I'm sure she just didn't look at it that way because right. it's a double standard. And I, yeah, I could see why she didn't because you wouldn't, I guess, think of it like that. Right. And the thing is, like you said, they should have had extensive education in the onboarding on this uh, for this program. Part of the reason that we do these stories on Good Nurse, Bad Nurse is to help to educate and enlighten people to the situations like this that can happen. And we, we talk about it all the time on here that sometimes we might be talking about someone witnessing something that is inappropriate. They can tell, you know, they know someone is stealing narcotics or they they suspect someone is doing something to harm someone else or they, they see someone being negligent or reckless. And how important it is that when we talk about these stories to speak up and say something because you're talking about someone else's life. Um, for some of these stories and, and this one included, sometimes we're trying to protect people from themselves. And this, maybe if Tisha did understand better that the position that she was in, she is uh, in, a, in a position of trust and you are going to be considered an abuser if you have a sexual a sexual relationship with one of the inmates or one of your patients. You cannot do that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're both adults. It doesn't matter if you're the female. It, none of that matters. She lost her nursing license in March of 2014. And then, of course, they had the recorded phone calls. There was more than eight hours. Tisha and the inmate talked very intimately about each other's bodies and there were so in the tri, during the trial, some of the details came out, and there was the inmate knew very specific details about uh, parts of her body that he should not have known. So it was obvious that it was more because I think the defense was trying to say, well, this was just all fantasy. They were role playing; these things didn't really happen. But the thing is, they were actually talking about things that did take place. They were saying, remember when this happened. Remember when, I think one of the things that she said was, remember when I hit my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. a little more than mm-hmm. just stuff going on on the phone. Right. And even that, I wonder how it would be charged if there was still the phone call involvement because that still kind of shows it's there's a relationship going mm-hmm. on between them more than professional. So I'm curious about that too. I think that it, yeah, it probably would have been more of the misdemeanors maybe because uh, mm-hmm. yes. I think that physical contact was for sure put it over the edge for, as far as the felonies go. Um, she, of course, she talked about bringing the chewing tobacco and the drugs into the prison and that, you know, bringing in those substances. That's another felony there. Um her, her lawyers did try to claim that the relationship was just, it was all about phone sex and that the two never actually engaged in more physical activity than a kiss. And then the prosecutors claimed that during her pretrial de, uh, detention, Tisha had asked for conjugal visits and had attempted uh, to be transferred to the area of the prison uh, where male sexual offenders were held. That is what had me stopped when I read this. I had to read that back a couple times to make sure that was what I was reading was right because mm-hmm. that it's still so shocking. <laughs> it still is. I uh, so about a year ago, the nursing student Jer from Memphis. Uh, she is 
president of the Student Nurse Association at the Memphis School of Nursing. And oh, awesome. yeah, she has been on the podcast a few times. She and I talked about uh, some pretty intimate things like about ourselves, like personal things at, at one point. Um, and I was really forthcoming about some stuff that had happened to me, to me um, in my childhood. And she was too. And it just infuriates me to think of this woman, this grown woman, requesting to be put in the same area as male sexual offenders. Why? What kind of disgusting part? Anyway, just wanted to put that out there. She did maintain her innocence throughout the whole first trial. So there were two trials, you guys. This is not, she. she's something else, I tell you. She doesn't She quit. wasn't going down easy. No, no. So her lawyers attempted to make her look like the one that was pursued as opposed to, so almost like she was the victim as opposed to her pursuing the patient. The problem is you can't do that. He, you're the one with the power. If, right. you know, if you're working there. Either and way, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're the one with the power. You cannot do that. The prosecution and it's not was, like she had reported anything, right. uh, like initially. Mm-hmm. Right. This whole this all came, happened because they happened to just see that something inappropriate was going on. Mm-hmm. So I don't there know. There weren't the, any complaints. No, there were no complaints. The prosecution was clear that by uh, law, no consent had been given, and she was fully aware of that. that The prosecution made it clear that she understood that that she was not supposed to be doing what she was doing. The the trial went on for about a week. She was found guilty on all counts and was sentenced to 25 years with 10 years suspended. I never understand. The law is so confusing to me. (laughs) I swear, I think they do that on purpose. I I get so mad sometimes. At, I know. You know, at the law, just doing these stories week after week after week and then reading this atrocious thing that this person did. And I'm not talking about her because I understand that the, this man, he essentially did consent technically himself, but you, he can't right. legally consent because he is a patient and he is an inmate. So I get it that it was a little different than what some of the stories that we do where people are just really horrible and abusive. Yes. Yeah, I agree. And I was kind of, I don't want to say shocked when I saw the 25 years, but it's the same thing you said. You can't figure anything out because there's people who do really, really cruel, cruel Mm -hmm. things. And it's true. And the thing is though, this is what this is my thing about this, and I, I want you guys to kind of stick with me on this because I think that a lot of people are just going, "Well, I know that 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 there's a double standard, but still, it is different, you know, male and female, or and and or whatever." Here's the thing: he obviously had some sort of a problem, and that's why he was in jail. We don't know his backstory. We do not know, you know, how he was raised or what kind of how what kind of a victim he might have been at some point and how easily he may have been influenced by a woman who is in a position of power and authority over him. And had right. she not been engaging in this activity with him that he might have been had a successful outcome 
for this program. And so she's interfering by her allowing this to happen, allowing this relationship to happen. She's interfering with his best chance, right? Because this whole program is trying to get him transitioned out of jail and onto back onto the, the streets, back into the real world in the best way possible to hopefully be able to be a, a functioning member of society and, you know, maybe be able to get a job, get on his feet. And she's interfering with that because she's interjecting herself there. And that's, I'm sure, detracting from from that. And it's it's not right. It's It's absolutely wrong what she did. And I just, I don't really want to minimize it. I do, if you compare it, you can compare uh, apples to apples all day long or, or whatever. But if you compare it, you know, to obviously some horrible things that people can do, well, yes, but it doesn't mean that it isn't wrong, you know, and it was wrong what she did. She is, she was an abuser in this case and she was taking advantage of him. Whether, you know, he, he might even look at this and say, well, I don't mind being, you know, being taken advantage of, or it was fine, or whatever. That's not the point. This is your job. You went to school to be a nurse. You took your, you know, you passed your board to be an LPN. You took on a position of authority and power over people who are vulnerable. And make no mistake, people who are in prison are vulnerable. That is a vulnerable population, and they're they're the likelihood that they're going to get out and then do something to get back into prison is very high. And we're trying to do something to minimize that. And what are what we have this nurse who is in this position who is uh, interfering with his success. Right, I know. I thought the same thing, that he was close to being able to, like you said, just become more of a functioning member of society. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really say what ended up happening to him, but I hope that this didn't interrupt his course of life too much. I hope so too. So I told you guys there was another case with her that happened later on because this is this case, that's how it sort of ended. She was sentenced to 25 years, 10 years suspended, whatever that means. And there she was. However, she was found, it was found out that she was trying to tamper with a witness before the first trial. So all the while they're waiting for this first trial to happen, she apparently was trying to get a gang that was on the inside of the jail to intimidate, I guess it was him, I guess the inmate or another inmate. I I don't know that it said, it just said witness tampering. Yeah, it just said witness. So that also made me think that she was kind of more in the know and involved with more things that went on Mm -hmm. within the inmates. If she like knew which gang to approach and I don't think it worked, but she just got in more trouble for it. Well, they uh, did find out that she was witness tampering for sure. And um, she actually pled guilty to that because she wanted to avoid trial. She was sentenced to an additional five years for for um, attempting to have someone, I don't. You know, this is what's interesting to me. This whole thing. So she's sentenced to twenty five years. It does sound excessive. I have to say, it does. Um, but then ten years suspended, and then she is. It's found. It's found out that she's trying to intimidate. I almost like in the story. I almost. I almost felt like she, maybe almost was trying to not necessarily kill him, but make them think they were going to die. And 
that is very reckless because you have gangs in prison doing things to someone else and it, they very well could kill them. And you set that ball in motion and she gets five years for that, but to run concurrently, which means that's she's serving those five years at the same time she's serving the other time. Right. What was that? That was nothing. How is that even? That is, yeah, the five versus the 25 is a lot. Yeah. Big difference. Yeah. And she's, so if you're running it concurrently, she's already, she's already um, serving 10 years because, well, or 15 years because she was served, you know, 25. And so they're like, okay, well, here's another five, but you're going to serve these at the same time that you're serving the 15. So that was not, a, it was not anything. <laughs> I don't no, you're just double dipping. Yeah, you're not. It didn't accomplish anything. It just wasted a bunch of taxpayer money on a trial. Well, it didn't have. A, they didn't have a trial. We should pled guilty, but still, mm-hmm. I don't understand it. I swear I don't. <laughs> that's why we're in healthcare field. I know. That's true. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> um, so apparently, several times there was attempts uh, to appeal, citing Fourth Amendment rights um, that were breached. The court said Detective King's contact with LeBeau did not violate Brunel's rights to be free from an unreasonable search and seizure. Brunel has no reasonable expectation of privacy in what LeBeau might say to others while detained in the Missoula County Jail. Prosecutors in early 2017 also commented on how her behavior in prison had not shown any improvement or remorse. She had been caught trying to pass notes through a third party to avoid detection and had repeatedly tried to get into the male population, I swear. Um, They asserted that she was not safe to be in public. So Mm -hmm. I I guess she was appealing based on the fact that she had a right to privacy and they were using the audio recordings. but But the judge is like, no, you have no... You don't have a reasonable expectation of privacy while another person is detained. So that other person is detained. Yeah, even though you're not the inmate, you should, everybody knows you're going to be recorded. You don't have Mm -hmm. a reasonable expectation of privacy. So she lost that appeal. Yeah. So right now she's going by Tisha Stoudohar, which is her maiden name. She, because she did get a divorce, shockingly. She's out on parole. (laughs) Hmm. And <laughs> she didn't know. Yeah. I mean, that wasn't, that was not 15 years because this was now, in what, 2014? And, yeah. And she was released 2018. So mm-hmm. I don't, another thing I don't understand, it was 25, five, and it ended up being four, her mm-hmm. sentence. So. 25 years with 10 years suspended. And she served, <laughs> I don't know, what? Around four years. Four years. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. I don't know how that math worked out, but no, law math is hard. <laughs> yeah, law math is so hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's out on parole. She's still living in Montana. She, according to the sex offenders registry, her registration is overdue, which means she's not compliant. And federal law says that it is a crime punishable by fines and up to a, up to 10 years in prison if you're not compliant with being on the sex offenders registry, but she's not listed on the Montana list of uh, parole absconders as of February 9th, 2021, when these show notes were done. Um, so it's, it's interesting to be um, the, uh, so Jasmine was the, uh, the person who's doing my, uh, kind of helping me with my research. And she was questioning this too. She was like, wow, 
for all the stuff that she did, it seems really weird that she served as little time as she did and that she's out on parole already. But she actually, Jasmine looked up because Kiki's out of town right now and uh, dealing with some personal stuff. But, but so Jasmine looked up some information and actually contacted someone that she knows who's in law enforcement and, and was like, hey, can you just kind of shed some light on this? Why, you know, if this person did these things and was charged or was sentenced to, you know, all of these years, why would they be out already? And then basically the person said, you know, this is just how the criminal justice system works. And there's, it's not really, it's hard to understand. There, it could be multiple reasons why she's out, good behavior or whatever, but. Yeah. I wonder though, if it was good behavior. I mean, I guess it, I don't know, just because the passing of the notes and trying to do that sort of thing mm-hmm. too. So I'm not sure what that's considered, but. Yeah, they did say she was ordered to complete two phases of sexual offender treatment before she was eligible for parole. There aren't any public records to show if it was completed, but part of her nursing job was to ensure that inmates were ready for release. So it's kind of weird. Like, it's almost like. That is. She, that's part of her job, right? To, to And then yeah. now she's the inmate. Mm-hmm. Roles reverse. Yeah, and according to the Justice Department, a person is only eligible for parole after a third of this sentence is served. So if it, if the 10-year suspended sentence was seen as time served, Tisha would be eligible for, for parole very early. So there's some, maybe some possibilities of why she was able mm-hmm. to get out. And, it, and that's just, it's just like criminal justice math, you know? Like it, <laughs> you get 25 years, we're going to knock off this many for this reason. If you... You serve time. Sometimes they will be in jail for like a year or two waiting for their trial. And I've heard in some cases of certain systems, and I, it's, I don't know if it's different state to state, but actually giving you, allowing you more credit, like they give you like a day and a half or two days for every day that you spend in jail before you're actually, you actually go to trial. In order, ah. it's weird, but it's almost like to, they give you double credit because you're having to do that when you haven't even been convicted yet. Like you're in jail and you haven't even, you know, clearly. Right. But yeah, I guess it's the people who end up innocent mm-hmm. and it's just their days. I yeah. mean, you can't really give days to life outside. What I know, what, I, I have no idea. Again, criminal justice yeah. math is hard. I don't know. So crazy. No, I'd rather stick to men math for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's hard enough. Mm-hmm. She's still on parole. So I, I, I guess that, you know, she has to kind of stay on the straight and narrow or she could go back. So hopefully she's learned her lesson and maybe, you know, she's back doing, you know, what she should be doing. She's just not a nurse anymore, of course, but maybe she'll yeah. figure out something else she can do. Mm-hmm. I hope so because... Yeah, hopefully she learned and just turned everything around a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, that was our bad nursery. I told you guys it was kind of weird. It was uh, definitely a different kind of story for sure. Yes, it was. I just want you guys to think about this though. For anyone uh, in this position, if you're you know tempted, if you're, you're in a situation where you you know you have a patient and even in a hospital or anywhere, you can't have a relationship with someone who is your patient because Mm -hmm. they're vulnerable and you 
It doesn't matter if you're male or female. You just can't do that. You have to keep those lines very clear. Um, boundaries yeah. are there for a reason. You have to keep those keep those boundaries up and mm-hmm. nice and solid. Exactly. Yeah. I know um, we're getting ready for graduation. So our professors are talking to us a lot about creating those professional boundaries. And Mm -hmm. so even with like taking pictures, if one of your patient requests that you take a picture with them for their faith, like for your patient's Facebook page, our professors are even saying like, before you go into a job, set up your own boundaries and like think to yourself what you are going to be comfortable doing, you know, regardless of like, if your hospital has a policy Mm -hmm. for different things, and of course follow that, but to just really have those in your mind going into the job because they say crazy things happen. Well, it's true. Now we, I had a nurse on here a few weeks ago, David Duckett. He was, he, he works at Duke University and he was just, doing his job one day and a little girl, you know, suffering from cancer just was wanting to sing. And he came in and sang a little duet with her. It's the most adorable, you know, little video where her mom videoed the whole thing. And then she put it on social media. And then David is kind of in a, in a position because he's not in the spotlight at all. I mean, he, he's just himself, you know, he's he yeah. just trying to do something. That wasn't even his patient. So yeah. That I remember listening to that. That story gave me chills though. And I loved mm. the clip of them singing. I actually looked it up <gasps> after because so I thought it was sweet. so sweet. It's so precious. Mm-hmm. And now I'm just like obsessed with like following her to see how she's doing. And uh, yeah. she's such a strong person. And I'm so inspired just by her story. And I'm just also mm-hmm. inspired by David. And uh, he's such a good nurse. And I feel like he was, yeah. he was just wonderful to have on. And, and that was a, a story where the a family member posted a video of him and other nurses too. And Duke University did kind of step in because I approached David and I was like, hey, I would love to feature you as a good nurse uh, on our show. You're you're just exactly like, you know, you're the kind of nurse that every, you know, we want everybody to be and and that sort of Mm -hmm. thing. And he had to check with some his some people at Duke and then I had to be in contact with that person and and had it scheduled through them because he wanted to make sure that he was doing it right and that he was compliant and he wasn't, you know, so, and they did give me permission to talk to him and they, you know, they were like, yeah, it sounds fine. And so I was able to talk to him and have a conversation and we, you know, recorded it and put it on there and and it worked out just fine. But um, I definitely would recommend for you guys to be thinking about that uh, because there's a lot of gray areas there and you don't have a lot of control. Someone can be recording you and you not even know it, you know? Yeah. I've heard some stories <laughs> of that too. And then used against the nurses mm-hmm. and everything like that. So yeah, you just always have to be so careful with everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's so true. So I guess we can talk about our good nurse. I'm excited about this uh, story. Me too. I loved this one. It's really sweet. Uh, mm-hmm. This is the story of Nurse Rena Denning, and Rena was basically just kind of out with her her children at a like splash water park kind of place called Splash Montana. This this happened in Montana as well. I I was trying to find a 
a good nurse story in Montana since we were picking on Montana with the yeah, bad nurse. balance it out. <laughs> <laughs> I try to do that if, when when possible. I, I sort of try to, yeah, balance it out a little bit. So Rena uh, was out with her, her uh, children. And this was back in 2013 when this happened. So there were... These are not her children. They're, aside from from her, there were a couple of little boys that were playing in the pool. One of them was six and the other was 14. And the six-year-old, Peyton, asks his brother, Brock, who's the 14-year-old, if this little girl was okay. And um, Peyton said, at first he thought that she was a doll because she was just real still and just floating in the water. I know. And Brock, the 14-year-old, he, as soon as he saw her, knew something was wrong. Her lips were purple. She wasn't moving. She was face up in the water. He immediately scooped her up and carried her to where the lifeguard was. And meanwhile, there's a nurse, Rena, that we're we're telling you about. She was nearby with her children. Her older daughter said, you know, mom, look look over there. There's, I think someone was drowning. And she saw the boys with uh, this little little girl. And so she just didn't even hesitate. She ran straight over there. And she said, I don't think I was a hero. I was just doing my job, just, just being a mom and doing my job and doing what anybody would do who had the skills to do that. And so she did CPR. This is a two-year-old little girl. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, in the water park. Wow. So scary. She she did yeah. CPR until the paramedics arrived. She said it, it felt like an eternity before the paramedics got there. Um, I'm sure they couldn't have gotten there fast enough, no. honestly. So she was resuscitated. She was taken to the local hospital. And the so, you know, you've got this two little boys. You have Rena. You have the paramedics, the, the doctors at the hospital, all of those people working together were able to get her resuscitated. And the last uh, that I could find, there's not a whole lot about the story, but uh, said that she, the little girl was awake and stable. So thank goodness. Brock, the 14 year old was very shaken up. He said he could not stop shaking. And he went like after, after she was like being taken care of by the nurse, he like ran over to his mom. He said, I could not stop shaking. he was, it just scared him. Yeah, because yeah, I'm sure his life was honestly changed in this moment too. Mm-hmm. And even his little brother, mm-hmm. Peyton, because they're also part of the heroes in the story mm-hmm. as well. So sweet. And it makes me wonder. So he was 14 and this was in 2013. So um, that was a while back. He's grown now. It makes me always wonder, yeah. did he become a paramedic or a nurse or a doctor or something? What like it, it's a lot of times people who yeah. go through events like that, it makes them think, wow, I, I wonder if I could do what that nurse did, you know? Oh, and, definitely. Yeah. Because yeah. he'd be in his early 20s. So mm-hmm. I could totally see that. That would be interesting to see I'm where curious now. he ended up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. He said he didn't know CPR, but he did know how to get her out of the pool and he knew to get her to an adult. So <laughs> thank goodness yeah. he did that. Oh mm-hmm. my goodness. So... I know, because even at 14, that is still fairly young as well. Oh, yeah. To, to, I mean, just get right into, okay, emergency action mode. Just get over that initial shock. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, I just wanted to talk to you guys too about uh, drowning and kind of what to what is appropriate to do and what's not. I, I was trying to look up the guidelines on the USSSA website and what I, I couldn't, I went there and I didn't really see a lot of guidelines. So, but what I found is an article on today.com that where they interviewed uh, someone from the, from USSSA and and on there, they talk about the guidelines and what's appropriate, what does drowning look like, warning signs, that sort of thing. They said, of course, it is a silent event. We've heard that over and over again, but it is very, very mm-hmm. true. You, yes. We don't know what happened with this little girl, but no one heard this happen. Mm-hmm. They, these little boys saw her, and that's the only reason. And I, I'm assuming that her whoever she was with, her parents had no idea that this had taken place. So typically you don't hear or see someone, you know, flailing around uh, in the water and yelling, you know, help, help. That's not what's going on. Right. Um, Especially at a water park too, where there's mm -hmm. so many other noises and other distractions. Yeah. So Sue Mackey is the executive director of the U.S. Swim School Association or the USSSA. And uh, she's the one that's saying that, you know, you you don't hear people. You don't hear because they're so overwhelmed with trying to breathe and being afraid and try to stay afloat that they don't have the ability a lot of times to call out for help. Um, Even adults, not just children. Yeah, I know. I actually was a camp counselor a couple years back and I'm from Florida, so there's obviously pools everywhere. And unfortunately, drowning's a huge thing. So each summer, right before we started w- working, we had to watch a YouTube vi- video altogether of a child who drowned at a summer camp. It was from the, one of those security tapes. And Oof. It, it, yeah, it's scarring that video because I've had to see it a couple of times now. But let me tell you, it definitely scared us into keeping our eyes glued <sighs> on those kiddos. And it's you didn't hear or see a thing. It was just the floating. And camp counselors and other children were around and they didn't notice for a long time. Just didn't see him. Oh, Yeah. That's horrifying. But I'm glad that you told that story because um, that's, it's so, 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 so important. And it happens every single year. Every year, there's so many um, adults and children that drown in different situations. Sometimes it's out on the lake and adults that don't wear their life jacket on a, on a boat because they think they're an adult and they know how to swim and they don't realize that, yeah, but you probably don't know how to swim fully clothed, um, mm-hmm. speeding down the lake on your boat and then you get knocked in the head and get knocked unconscious if, if something happens. Yeah, you don't have... Yeah. You don't know how to swim in those situations. I don't care how good of a swimmer you are. So it's a lot different. Yeah. Even because, again, in Florida, the beaches, so mm-hmm. the tide can pull you in different ways. Yeah. And it's you like, you don't know when it's coming, really, unless you do some research before you go. But oh, my, my kids hate the riptide uh, lecture that I have to give every time I go to the beach. We have to talk about riptides again, mom. <laughs> but you can't always see them. You never know. They could be anywhere. You don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you could be miles out into the middle of the ocean. And if it does happen though, you need to swim to the side or... <laughs> <laughs> I know. You pulled, yep. Oh my goodness. It's so true though. <laughs> well, some warning signs of drowning. Um, 
mouth at water level. So if their mouth is at water level, might alternate between being just above the surface and just below it. Their head might be tilted back while they're trying to float. You know, they're trying to stay above water. Um, Their eyes get glassy or closed. Oh my gosh. Um, If you suspect someone's drowning, there are some guidelines to follow. First of all, the USSSA says throw, don't go. So don't just jump in because a drowning person can accidentally pull their rescuers under with them. So if you have some sort of a device that you can throw to them, like a rope or a flotation device or pool noodle or whatever, then that's the safest thing for you to do rather than both of you getting into trouble. Mm-hmm. Call 911 or let other people know that someone's drowning so that you're not the only one trying to deal with the situation and let people know like, I'm, I'm going to be helping and then that way everyone is alerted. Um, also, obviously, if there's lifeguards, they're trained. Mm-hmm. Let them help. When drowning people, so it says help from behind. Uh, when drowning people see a rescuer coming toward them, they clutch and pull them underwater. Approaching them from behind is safer for both the rescuer and the victim. So if you go behind them and you kind of lift up, I guess, up under their arms, under their shoulders. Mm-hmm. Um, Scoop them. So use a life jacket. Wearing a Coast Guard approved life jacket prevents a rescuer from being pulled under by a drowning person or an undercurrent. Life jackets are essential for rescues in water with currents such as lakes, rivers, and oceans. And then look for signs of secondary drowning. This is also another lecture. (laughs) I have so many soapboxes I get on when it comes to water. I'm so, it's just horrifying to think, you know, of what can happen. But you, so if drowning is prevented, the, the victim might still have water in his or her lungs and they can suffocate hours later. So look for labored breathing, lethargy, coughing hours afterwards because that can indicate secondary drowning. It's very uncommon, but still important for people to be aware that it can happen even after it seems like an accident was avoided. Um, that's what Sue Mackey said with the USSSA. And it, I know it's uh, it's uncommon, but it does happen. It's not that uncommon if you put it all into perspective because even if it just happened one time, it, that's preventable. You know, if someone was underwater for a pretty good amount of time, they they swallowed a bunch of water it could get into their lungs and that lung sits there and that you, you still could have oxygenation issues and you could die from that. Yeah. It's just better to get it checked out after even like a near incident, like Mm -hmm. a near drown or anything like that. Absolutely. You guys. So I just wanted to kind of take that opportunity to do my, my safety checks. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you did that. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Autumn, for coming on the show. This was a fun episode. It was um, really nice having you on here. I'm really excited for you graduating in April. That's not very long. Oh, that is, it seems right around the corner. It's just coming quicker and quicker. But I had so much fun. It was so cool to be on this side of the podcast because I am an avid listener. So thank you. Wonderful. I'm happy to have you. You can come back anytime if you, uh, after after you graduate and you start working, maybe you want to come back and let us know how it's going. We'd love to have you back. Yeah, I'll definitely do that. Thank you, Tina. You're welcome. And you guys, be sure and give us, we love it when you send us your feedback. Um, Tina at goodnersbadners.com. Send me an email. I like hearing your stories, your local stories. I love it when you guys send me stuff. Um, and then 
You can also, of course, follow us on Instagram at Good Nurse, Bad Nurse or Facebook and Twitter at GMBM Podcast. And I also want to remind you guys that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse. Bye.